This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Is This Real Life? Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives in the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful week. I have an extra special episode for you all today. So I have Melissa Reich on. You all know her as your Bish Therapist from Instagram and also a podcast by the same title. And we get into so much. I mean, we're talking about psychology, neuropathways, like how people's brains can change when they become famous, why we as viewers have these parasocial relationships with the Bravo celebrities and with podcasters and, you know, the drama that kind of comes along with some of the podcasting spaces. It's so interesting. And then we get into some of Melissa's thoughts on why some of the Bravo celebrities behave the way that they behave. This was recorded about a week ago because I am currently on vacation. I'm visiting my dad and stepmom and getting together with my brother, sister-in-law, and niece. So I wasn't able to get into the episodes from this week in in terms of like Vanderpump Rules and all the housewives. So this is more of like an in-depth look into psychology and Bravo, and I just think you are all going to love it. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. And if there's anything you want to share with me, you can reach me on Instagram at Mandy Slutsker. All right, we'll take a quick break and then back with Melissa. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I am here with a very special guest today, Melissa Reich. She is known as Your Bish Therapist on Instagram. She's a licensed professional counselor who hosts the Your Bish Therapist podcast, serving clinical interpretations of pop culture. 
How are you doing today, Melissa? Hi, Mandy. I am wonderful. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be here and I'm just really grateful. So thank you for that beautiful introduction. (laughs) Oh, you are so sweet. It's nice to meet really like thoughtful, kind people in this space (laughs) because, you know, there's just like a lot of, um, and I I enjoy it too, right? Like all the reads and all the shade, but Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, the people that we watch on these shows are human. And I think that's what makes them so inherently watchable. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I've always been interested in that you are an expert in is why people behave the way they do, especially based Mm -hmm. on their personal histories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 it it is really interesting. And that's ultimately why I started my podcast, because people ask me all the time, they're like, why are you doing this? And some days I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> because it is so, so hard. There's so much lack of humanity on the internet, so much lack of kindness. I get a lot of trolls and hate and things like that. But ultimately, at, at the end of the day, I think we all have a general curiosity about, you know, why do people do the things they do? And so if I can do a little bit of good in the world by sharing some clinical concepts and, you know, helping people understand that, you know, being human means being imperfect and infallible and all those things, then, you know, that's what I try to do. So (laughs) amazing. Um, Well, I wanted to get started just by asking you a bit more about yourself. So like, you've shared a bit about your journey publicly about starting the Instagram account and like why you stepped away from private practice. And I just wondered if you could talk a bit about like how you got started in this space and why? Yes, absolutely. Because it was, um, if you would have told me a few years ago that I would be doing this, I would have told you that you needed to like get some mental health treatment. I would have been like, you're out of your mind. Um, because I was never a social media person. I do, uh, I really value, you know, for me, therapy is magic and I value the process. And I just think some of uh, what is social media can be inauthentic and that bothers me sometimes. But so ultimately what got me into this is um, in 2020 during, so when the pandemic started, I, um, so I had ovarian cancer when I was 17 and then I was in, I had been in remission for that for 25 years, which that makes me feel and sound so old. Um, and then when I was in my thirties, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Um, and then, so I had to start treatment for my second cancer during the pandemic and it was a (sighs) absolute blood soaked nightmare. Um, I mean, truly it was like, are you joking? <laughs> this yeah. couldn't have happened at any other time. It was so, it was so hard. So what happened was I was in private practice. I, you know, had a wonderful caseload of folks that had been with me for a while. Um, and ultimately my health just uh decompensated and I had to start treatment. And then my doctors kind of said, well, didn't kind of, they said, this is a new um, this pandemic, we don't know enough about it. You, you cannot practice right now. You have to stay home. Um, and at that point I was too sick to even do like a telehealth, Telemedicine, you yeah. know, because right. And so it was like, I couldn't keep my, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. Cause I was just like too sick and things like that. So I stepped away from my practice, which was truly devastating. And I swear, I still feel guilty about it to this day. And, um, 
you know, so long story short, I kind of really, I really stayed in my house for two years because I was afraid and every person, you know, so I see a specialist at Penn Medicine because my CLL is more aggressive than it should be. Like my body is just really weird. And he said, you know, a lot of his patients that he did have with complicated CLL did unfortunately pass away due to the pandemic. So I needed to stay home. But what happened is that kind of led me to a really crippling depression, right? You know, I lost my practice. I felt guilty about that. I didn't really have a purpose. And so, and then I'm, I'm going through cancer treatment. I'm scared for my life. People on the internet are telling me that I should just die, you know, survive citing survival of the fittest. Um, you know, people like Kelly Dodd made really ignorant comments about oh, like people yeah. like me, we were just disposable, you know, and um, it, you know, listen, the reason I share this is because people look at me and they admire me and, you know, I'm smart and I'm intelligent, but I'm human. And sometimes when we believe these things, it really can affect us um, negatively. So not only was I dealing with a cancer diagnosis and treatment, I was also now dealing with a very, very severe clinical depression. And um, oh gosh, so so long story short is that I went to therapy. I, I had a therapist who I just knew she couldn't help me. Um, one time I was doing telehealth and she was smoking a brisket. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's like not professional, but also <laughs> hilarious. What, smoking a brisket, and you're like talking about being like in despair. <laughs> She's like, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, that really caught me off guard. No, I know. And that's why I share it because it is so funny. And my therapist and I, we laugh about it all the time um, because I'll be like, you know, was talking to her about how I was truly in despair. She's like, hold on, I am smoking a brisket. It's that's incredible. That is so. And again, I share this because listen, there are people out there. She wasn't a bad person, but like, Clearly, that is just insanity. And so I don't care who you are. If you're seeing someone and they do something and you're like, this doesn't seem right to me, use your voice and advocate for yourself and move along. And so I had to have a really hard conversation with her, which she did not take well, to no surprise. Um, and I, I had to fire her and I found another therapist and um, she's been the most wonderful, amazing person. Um, but through, so through getting to the right person, I did truly two years of the most grueling, intense trauma work, uh, of my life. And so through that healing, I met, um, I came across Amy Phillips. So love her Amy Phillips. Yeah. And for those of you, I'm sure most of your your audience knows who she is. But for those who don't, she has an amazing podcast called Drama Darling. And she's funny and she does impressions. And she's also just like a great human. Um, so she has a, a, a Drama Darling pod. Um, it's a Patreon um, podcast. And I'm sorry, I'm stepping over my words a bit. But so when I was kind of in this weird moment of healing and figuring out what am I doing with my life? You know, should I go back to practice? Is my health in a good enough place to do that? Which it kind of wasn't at the time. And so my current therapist 
we had talked about what was I going to do. And so Amy, beautiful, wonderful Amy, she had, do you remember she had a, um, a show on Sirius XM called Reality Checked yes. for a long time? So while she was at the end of doing Reality Checked and transitioning to her Patreon, I had contacted her. She had asked a question about a psychotropic medication and just knowing the answer to it, I, you know, I DM'd her. And so we had this nice DMing relationship. And so here's, this is where my name comes from. Um, can I curse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there are no rules on this. So I just, <laughs> well, I, I, just, I don't want to disrespect your rules. So, oh, yeah. No, that's, um, that's kind of you. Yeah. No, I swear. Sure. Um, okay. Well, so. When I when I DM'd her, I said, hi, Amy. You know, she used to call herself your bitch wife, which was oh, from an old yeah. school episode of New Real Housewives of New Jersey. Yes. When Joe yeah. Judice called Teresa, you know, here she comes, my bitch wife. Right. Mm -hmm. So Amy jokingly called herself that. And when I DM'd her, because I do have like a really great sense of humor, sometimes it's very dark, but, you know, that's to be expected. But I, I DM'd her and I said, you can just call me your bitch therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's how you're your bitch therapist it. was born. And, you know, so on my handle on Instagram, it's bish. Like everything is bish because, you know, the algorithm wouldn't take kindly to a curse in my handle. Yeah. <laughs> they have no problem so, with like, you know, um, feeding children like information uh -huh. on suicide. But <laughs> but when it comes to like right. swear words, that's that's when they step in. Sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> off limits. No, no, no. You're listen, and this Not is one a big of the reasons I adore you because you're right. Social media hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> Just the companies. They're like, oh, we can't really protect children online. I'm like, mm, great. Yeah, but don't you dare say the word bitch. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll hide your algorithm. No, you're totally right. Um, so it started as truly me. I went on Amy's show. Um, one time as like a special guest and Amy was like, you should be doing this. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I, I just truly, all I ever wanted to do was be a therapist and I could never have imagined doing anything else. And she just said, I think you're good at this. You have a knack for it. And you know, the one thing I'll say is Amy, this equipment I'm using, she bought it for me. Oh, wow. She said, she bought it for me and she said, you really should do this. She's like, no pressure. But, and I was like, okay, you know, I truly feel like this for me has been so restorative and healing and has given me a second chance at life. You know, I never, I'm so passionate about therapy that I never thought I'd find something else that I'm as passionate about. And so the fact that I have, I'm just so Every day I wake up, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to folks like you and the audience and just people who have embraced me. And I, I'm, yeah, so I I'm just that. super grateful. You know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about how I really came to love Bravo. I'd watched Bravo, right? I casually watched, you know, all of Vanderpump Rules, most of Beverly Hills, but I really came to love it after a really dark time in my life. And I noticed like the same with you, with others, you know, where you just like you you're in it. But mm -hmm. then like the shows mean so much more when you're in a tough spot. And unlike a lot of other times when you're 
in a rough situation and you rely on something, once you're better, you don't want to rely on it anymore. But with Bravo, I only loved it more once I was kind of out of the hole. And I'm wondering, like, what do you think it is about this network and these shows that people find them during really rough moments um, and that uh, bring them so much comfort and joy? That is such a good question. And again, what I appreciate about you is that's so insightful to really realize and understand that because you're right. You know, for you and I are great examples of that. Um, So my my short answer to that is when we're going through hard times for me and you know i would love to hear your experience too but for me bravo was it was a nice distraction yeah. right so when we are feeling immense amounts of pain um are you can be the most evolved person in the world as humans it's we need a, a break we need a release we need distraction we need to put things on a, on a shelf for a minute and and prevent ourselves from drowning before we go back to it. So I truly, I think that's what it is. For a lot of people, it's a nice distraction. And I don't know about for you, but for me, it truly allows me to do what I call perspective taking, which is like, okay, so I have a chronic cancer, there's no cure, I have a million health issues. But it's watching this, sometimes there's this thing in my brain where it's like, well, if people think if they were rich or wealthy or famous or whatever, life would be better. And it's like, no, it wouldn't. Nope. <laughs> that's living proof. You know? so yeah. It kind of almost makes us feel better about where we're at because it's like, well, I'm rich, but like, I, I'm doing okay. I'm doing you know? okay. And also if, if just look yeah. at these people. They have problems too. It's just different problems. But we all right. have problems. And that's right. And I think that for me, you know, um, I've worked with many different folks in different socioeconomic statuses throughout my career. And wealthy people have just as many issues as people who aren't wealthy or, you know, um, lower socioeconomic status. It's just different stuff. It's it's the same concept, just it looks and it feels different. And I think ultimately for for many of us, for me, it's a little validating. It's validating. It's like, and it allows to do what I call a reframe, which is, you know, when you wake up and you're feeling like you're having a hard day, you're in grief, you're feeling whatever. And it's, you you watch these shows and you're like, you know, I'm going to reframe what's happening in my life. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Oh, I try to do that a lot and not to diminish my own problems or things going on in my life, but to like to laugh. I found it really hard to like, I right. lean on laughter a lot. It's um, like a huge part of my life is just, I don't know, just finding things funny. And I found Housewives and Vanderpump Rules like so funny. And <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I didn't see them as like humorous <laughs> before, but I see them as comedies at this point, maybe dramedies, but it's, mm-hmm. there's so much yeah. that happens and, and life can be so funny and unusual, especially even at dark moments, right? Everyone has mm-hmm. like, you know, what do they call it? The, you know, dark humor or, but, but there's uh, gallows Oh, like humor. a dark coping. Yeah, gallows. That's what I was thinking, the gallows humor. But, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's been in a really crappy situation and been able to laugh Mm -hmm. at, like, the shittiest thing that happened. Like, oh, my God, this can't also be happening, you know? And 
just mm-hmm. taking a moment or something funny that happens at a funeral or dealing with, you know, <laughs> death or cancer. There are things right. that happen that you can laugh at. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just was able to find so much more humor in the housewives um, during that period. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, I just loved it. I feel like these are my stories. These are my people. I love these people. I appreciate. And as I'm getting older and closer to the age and sometimes the age that many of these people are, it's mm-hmm. it's fun to watch that like your life doesn't end at 40. Your life can sometimes th- just begin. Absolutely. So I think there's two important pieces to what you said is that one, it it is definitely like, um, you know, when you go through really dark stuff, I feel I use this example of like, people like you and me, when you go through dark stuff, you develop this, this light that other people who have been in that same dark place can see. Yes. And Right. And so I think that when we see that in each other and we see that in some of these these reality stars, there's a kinship, right? A parasocial kind of, and we'll we'll get to that, a yeah. parasocial kinship. But also it is like a a a a telenovela with people that we just like or that we've watched for a long time and we feel that we can relate to. So everything you're saying makes so much sense. And especially for people like us who do have like a very dark sense of humor, because when you really go through stuff like that's just that's just how it is. Like all of my cancer friends, we just joke about how like we have sometimes we'll say stuff and people are like, what? And it's like, listen, let us just have this. okay? (laughs) (laughs) so but I think that it's like you see some of the stuff on these shows and it's just, it, it's just a, a recipe with all the stuff that you said for bringing us a little bit of joy in a dark time in our life. And I think aging is part of finding humor in you know, aging gracefully, mm-hmm. I guess is finding humor in things that you yeah. would have never found funny when you were younger. Cause you hadn't lived you know, like, well, right. And it gives a different perspective, right? When you're seeing now I'm in my, I'm going to be 43. And then I, I look at some of these people that, you know, the age perspective, right? It does shift things for you. Totally. So yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, So those of us who aren't experts in psychology often like to joke, at least I do, that reality TV and especially like The Real Housewives seems to attract people with personality disorders. And I say that very flippantly and not, you know, necessarily always serious. But thinking more critically about what makes a good reality star, do you believe that there are certain mindsets, not necessarily diagnoses, but like mindsets that people are in that make them better candidates for reality TV? Yes, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, I appreciate your attention to, um, you know, staying away from the diagnosis part no, because I've, that's I've, a big thing for me. I diagnose yeah, Rachel so Levis and I feel terrible about that, but I think I'm accurate. <laughs> so Well, I'm sure I'm sure you are. But um <laughs> and it's funny because there are some times where I'm like, I know I have an accurate assessment of this person, but I just like I cannot say it because I will get sued. Yeah. Um <laughs> so but but absolutely, there are personality types that are attracted to these shows. Like, for example, you and I, we both work in helper professions, mm-hmm. but we do it in a way that there's not a lot of like glory in it. And, you know, 
so there are everything that we do, there are reasons for that. And with these reality stars, I was, you know, looking as I was thinking about um, preparing for this interview, I was just thinking about like, gee, what does, what stands out about those personalities? And for me, two major things is there's a and and hear me out because this isn't necessarily bad, but there's a histrionic kind of like dramatic approach to to life, like drama and acting and all of these things. It's an art and it's entertainment. And I think, you know, some of these folks are incredibly talented. So I feel like sometimes reality stars have that performative nature or desire, but they don't they don't have the other components or desire to like, you know, go be in movies or do this or do that. So it is like its own genre of entertainment, right? So that's one thing. And then number two, um, I think they just, there's, there's a, a performative um, nature, number one and number two, a, you have to be really comfortable with attention, Right. I mean, just to be honest, you have to be very interested in attention. And you also there's this thing that I noticed that a lot of reality TV folks, they don't discern between good or bad attention. That's fascinating. They just you're so right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is what differentiates people like you and me from people like them, because we don't, I don't, well, I get a lot of bad attention, which I don't want. And I could talk about that for days, but these are people who they, you know, sometimes when we grow up with certain family dynamics and, you know, personalities of our parents, we all are having our children that some needs were met, some needs weren't. And for some folks, some needs were just never met. So as adults, we our behaviors are ways to get us the things that we need and deserve, but maybe never got. And a lot of times folks, especially when they haven't worked through unprocessed trauma, I see this a lot in my practice. They don't care if it's good or bad attention, as long as it is attention, because we all have a very human need, right? For validation and for understanding and empathy And I think some people on reality TV, they don't care that they're not getting the good stuff and they're only getting the bad stuff. I just don't think they care because it it serves something in them, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes so much sense. And I feel like there are people who are born reality stars and that people that like walk into it and kind of find themselves Mm -hmm. there and kind of look around like, how did I get here? And a great example on Vanderpump Rules, I would say is Sheena was born for reality TV. That woman cannot Mm -hmm. be anyone other than herself. And no amount Mm -hmm. of outside influence changes who she is at her core. Like I, (laughs) I said this on um, the dumpster dive podcast, uh, this uh, a few weeks ago, but I said that, she, when I met her at BravoCon, it was like her entire family. We were at this cocktail reception, and in the middle of it, she sees we're we're sitting on a couch, and the person next to her had an eyelash problem, like part of the fake eyelash was coming off, and she just was like, "Oh, here, I've got glue. Let me fix this for you." And I had assumed she knew this person, but it was just an attendee at BravoCon whose 
eyelash was starting to come off and she's just fixing it because that's just who she is, right? Like That's who she is at her core. Like, and I loved seeing that because she's just so herself. And I would say someone like Katie Maloney ended up on this show because she was surrounded by people who were like that, like Stassi meant to be on reality TV. But Katie, Mm -hmm. I don't think ever really sought so much attention. And then all these Mm -hmm. years later, she's looking around like, (laughs) guess this is my job now. But she's also still good to watch, you know, but there's there's just like, I feel like two kinds of people on reality TV to people that just find themselves there. Uh, like a Julia mm-hmm. Lemagova from um, Real Housewives of Miami. I feel like she just like walked into it. And then there's people who are just like Lisa Hochstein, like just drama mm-hmm. follows them. And <laughs> they are kind of born for this. Um, so I, can I just <laughs> yeah. stop you and say that that is that is a brilliant observation. And you're totally you're absolutely right. And those examples that you gave are absolute perfection because Katie Maloney, it, it like she gives zero fucks. And she's just like, well, I guess I guess this is how we're making my living now. Like, let me just like be industrious and make something of this. But yes, you can tell like her and Sheena are two fundamentally different personality types. Sheena would have been doing this whether Vanderpump Rules was a thing or not. Exactly. Um you know, so so that is an extremely good point. And I consider myself one of those people who just like fell into it. And there's a lot of parts of it that I hate, but I was like, I am not meant to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. So yes, I think that's a really good, that's great. I love it. Um, so I had told you that I did a previous episode with Chelsea um, from Ono oh Chels, and she's on the I Am The Cute One mm-hmm. podcast, and she is a mental health professional as well. And we talked about parasocial relationships um, that we have with Bravo Liberties, and where we really feel like we know these people. And, you know, I'm wondering if you can speak about how this could be a positive in some ways, like the parasocial relationships, but also, you know, how it's a negative for us, not necessarily for the reality stars but for us as viewers yeah like how we engage with them you know mm-hmm. yeah it's such a good question because I thought about this last night and I was just writing notes there are so many positives and negatives to it but I, I think that and and here's the thing that's special about parasocial relationships like it depends on the person like everyone forms those parasocial relationships really differently Um, some people really, really, really super encourage them. And some people don't and have less, you know, some people have better boundaries around it than others. But I think the positives of it are it can increase our sense of connection because human beings, fundamentally, we all need people. We all need to have this sense of connection. And we, you know, we all have different situations with family and friends and some people are estranged and, you know, there's a lot of loneliness in the world. So feeling like, and and by the way, loneliness is just part of the human condition, right? We all feel lonely sometimes. So I think these parasocial relationships, it promotes this sense of connectivity, but it also promotes this great sense of community, right? So some of these, like some of these pages and and podcasts, they have like a group that it really does feel like a a wonderful human connection with like-minded people. And the one thing I can tell you about human behavior is that we, in most people, enjoy echo chambers. Um, What I will call an echo chamber of like, 
well, I think this and I feel this and I want to be surrounded by 15 million people who think and feel the same way. Um, and then there are those folks like I don't I thrive on the opposite of echo chamber. I don't I like to hear I think our differences of opinions and cultures and backgrounds is what makes life really beautiful. Um, so for me, that also the other side of that coin is a downside, mm-hmm. um, just feeling like if we have people validating and just spewing these opinions and no one's checking the behavior, right? That is how these parasocial relationships like with Jeff Lewis live fans can kind of get out of control because yes, people. <laughs> he's a perfect example. Oh my, isn't there someone who I think I met her. I, I saw her at BravoCon, but who is Jeff Lewis obsessed on Instagram and like yeah. she flies around and goes to events, but she has like a bunch of kids and stuff. <laughs> like she's got like a whole life in a different like city. And then she, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know how close she actually is with Jeff or she just thinks she is. But when you hear the same, mm-hmm. you know, person five days a week on the radio and you see them and you watch them on TV, you th- kind of feel like you know them. Right. And, and the thing that Jeff does, so why we'll continue to go with that example is that he really promotes that. So for example, this person that you're talking about, um, you know, they have talked and they have pictures together and they, you know, Jeff talked about her on the radio, kind of praising her and, you know, because ultimately she was promoting his stuff. Right. But then the danger of that is the other side of the coin when things happen, which a lot of things happened about that and I'm not sure <clears throat> how much you want to talk about it, but I don't think I know all the stuff. stuff. I just like I see that okay. there's drama, but I don't know like details. <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, unfortunately, I know too many details of a lot of things. And I don't know if that's just because as a therapist, I'm inquisitive or sometimes people come to me. But it, either way, I I do have some inside information. But what I'll say is that when when Jeff promotes this sense of you're my chump, you know me, uh, but then that that can be dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Because you do, they're not really friends, and and you don't really know Jeff. We feel like we know Jeff because he literally has no filter and just spills his guts to everybody. But who he is fundamentally, we don't know, and we're not truly friends of his. But he he promotes this whole chump thing as like you're my people. But it's like, well, so that can be dangerous because so the last thing I'll say about this is that it creates a false sense of closeness. And for people who don't have the emotional or cognitive ability to discern the difference, that is how some of these kind of um, unhealthy behaviors get started Um because you, you, there really isn't that sort of relationship. So does that make sense? It's like yeah. that it gets confused in people who aren't healthy enough to discern. To discern, like, I feel like I know this person and I feel very close to them. But in reality, they don't actually know me. And so I don't need to, like, go right. to bat for them all the time online because why am I doing that? There's no point, you right. know, like, arguing people about right. this person's behavior or... Um, you know, when I talk to them at an event, when I meet them, how I behave with them, you know, I think BravoCon 
it's it's wild how entitled I think a lot of us feel to their attention when we're at BravoCon. That's exactly right. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, we pay for it, all that. But I was very struck by Gertie. We were, me and my friend were in line to get a photo with her. And she had to like step away for a minute. And she was crying. And I think it's because people were constantly coming up and telling her their stories of battling with cancer. And yeah, it's a lot yeah. to take on. And she was like, j- just finished. Um, chemo was about to finish radiation. You know, it's, right. it's just a lot. And so, sure. Um, you know, when she did come back and we got a photo with her, I was like, thank you so much for being so open. And I'm sure this is really an overwhelming experience. So, Aww, you know, but, that's sweet. but people yeah. just don't. But that's not sweet. That's just like kind of <laughs> being able to read a room. And it's amazing well, how many people can't. Um, and, are, you know, or we're saying, yeah. oh, so-and-so wouldn't get a photo with me and they're rude. And I'm like, maybe you caught them when they're literally trying to go to the bathroom, right? Maybe you caught them when they hadn't right. eaten anything. Like they're human right. too. And it doesn't mean they're a bad person or they're a bitch because they didn't give you the kind of attention that you felt you mm-hmm. needed. But Mandy... Here's the thing. I want to give you credit for a minute because what I need you to understand is what you just said is so beautiful and amazing to be able to see people's humanity behind the celebrity. And But to that point, that's exactly what I mean in terms of people sometimes don't have that discernment. They don't have, they lack this, the understanding of humanity, right? That these are people. They're not zoo animals, They're not here to do tricks for us and to let us pet their belly. They're humans who they've worked a 12-hour day and who knows what they have going on in their personal life. They're exhausted. They probably haven't eaten. And it is like, I imagine, like being a zoo animal. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. Because people like you and I understand that, it's... You probably validated her more than you know just by just by acknowledging that. Um, and you and I look at it like, oh, well, that's human. But most people don't do that. So that's a big really? thing. I feel, I don't yeah. know. It, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to know. I think also like there is a self-selecting group that goes to BravoCon that has the amount of disposable income to spend at BravoCon, you know, and they're just so fo- – where people are just so focused on like what we're trying to get out of it. You know, and part of what I've put in my feedback to the people who organized BravoCon was I would love to have those cocktail parties without cameras and phones. Because for people who just want to have conversations and the goal isn't just getting a photo, I had so much fun. I got photos with everyone, right? But that wasn't the Mm -hmm. goal. Like the goal was to meet them, talk to them, ask them about themselves, learn things. Like I learned a lot about Dr. Nicole. She is, it turns out she was chief resident um, back in the Mm -hmm. day. And like, that's a big deal. Like I know a lot about medicine and I'm like, wait, why isn't that discussed on the show? That's a huge, you were chief resident? Like, what? You know, and you still are at that <laughs> hospital. Know. And because I was asking her, like, how mm-hmm. do you get away with the filming schedule? Like, how does your employer right. make exceptions? And she was like, mm-hmm. I've built a lot of, you know, goodwill with them because I've been there since residency. They've known me since I was a resident. I was chief resident. Mm -hmm. I've like, you know, built up. I've taken shifts. I've done, you know, all that stuff. So that when this opportunity came along, 
I was like, can I work this many hours instead of that many hours? And is it okay for me to go on TV? And they're kind of like, okay, this is weird, but whatever, do it, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? But, <laughs> <laughs> right. But because it's, I can't imagine most medical professionals getting the okay from their institutions to be on mm-hmm. TV. That's why I was just so shocked. Like, how is she able to do this? But Anyways, um, (laughs) kind of going back to a bit of BravoCon, but um, the drama that we watch on these shows, I feel like sometimes (laughs) it's kind of like for me, it's into us and like relationships between podcasters and relationships between Bravo Instagram accounts. And it's almost like, you know, we saw between the listeners of like Juicy Scoop and Jeff Lewis Live and they were all mad at each other. Mm -hmm. And then... I've seen a lot of Bravo. This is something I'm so interested in. A lot of Bravo podcasters seem to not be happy with Nick Vile and the Vile Files and how it's yeah. sort of become yeah. like a Bravo podcast, uh, which mm-hmm. I find just so interesting. Like, do you feel like you have to be a certain type of fan or a certain type of account or podcast in order to cover this topic? Like, do we feel like we have ownership over this topic? And do you know that kind of thing? So. What mm-hmm. about this space? Do you feel like attacks this kind of drama? Do you like attracts? And I mean, maybe it exists in yeah. other spaces, right? Like if there are podcasters about video games, they probably have their own drama too. But, you know, do you have any advice for those of us who like watching the drama, but don't want to be part of the drama? <laughs> oh, gosh, I could talk about this for days. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on the Nick Vile thing. I know. It's so... Well, I, I, I am curious about your thoughts about that. So, okay. Entering this space for me, I have a lot of inside information. And don't worry, I'm not going to go spilling a bunch of tea because that's just not my personality. But I have talked to and had interactions with a lot of really big um, accounts and podcasts and things like that. And so for me, the podcast space is no different from any other space in that, you know, any place I've ever worked, there are people that have, um, you know, are moving from the right morals, values, and ethics. And then there are those who aren't. And that is a, those are human characteristics that are irrespective of the podcasting industry, right? So any, all humans, there are going to be people who have, in my opinion, it's a little bit of, um, trying to think of how to say this judiciously. There's a little bit of envy, I think, with some folks in terms of um, people are looking out for themselves. And sometimes there are some accounts and some folks that they don't care who they have to step on because they just want to be the top. They want to be the top of the pyramid. And like, I, I'll tell you this. So I was like in the process of being booked for a couple of like really huge podcasts. And then they found out that I didn't like worship a particular celebrity and they never talked to me again. What? And yeah. How do you not know what's the right celebrity? Like I, I just, yeah, (laughs) I find a lot of this very foreign. Yeah. So, um, because my, I'm team, I'm team accountability. Like I'm not, I don't get um, enamored by celebrity. Like I see humans as humans. And, and there are a lot of folks who build their brand on the backs of other people and they will do what they need to do to, to get to the top. Now, Nick, um, how do you say it? Vial? Vial? I, I always say vial. Okay. I always, I, I, I want to say like vial or oh. vial, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I get this like anxiety and I don't want to mispronounce someone's name because that's so important. But so I think here's the thing. I've listened to his um, podcast. He's a good interviewer. He's so good. He's so, so good that I find it's like I, I understand people are frustrated because it's like I think essentially people feel like, well, that should be me. It should be me mm-hmm. getting those big Bravo interviews. It should be me. It shouldn't be him. But it's like if he were, you know, there are people who are better interviewers than other, right? And I just think he's good at what he does. Um, so, no, I have no um, ill will towards him in terms of the stuff that he's covered because I think that he's good at it. And good for him. Like, I, I have, you know, no issues with that. But I think when people look at him and are critical, you know, to me, that's what it is. It's kind of an envy. It's a why can't this be me? It's a me, me, me. I want to grow. I want to grow. You know, we all want to grow, um, but we have to do it authentically and in a healthy way. Otherwise, it's just stolen valor. But some people don't care if it's stolen valor or not. You know, that's so interesting. I feel like with the Nick Vile stuff, the things that would frustrate me and that do is when he gets things wrong, like just basic info that any person that watches Bravo regularly would know since he's a newer watcher. He doesn't know like the history. And so a lot of people feel like you have to put in the time and the effort to know the history to do a good interview, but he's proving them wrong. Mm -hmm. You don't. I'm learning more about these Bravo celebrities and their backgrounds just by the questions he's asking than I've learned anywhere Mm -hmm. else. And because he's not trying Mm -hmm. to get tea about the shows themselves, right? He's actually pulling out pieces of information that you wouldn't get otherwise. And I find it like I never listened to him until recently. And I'm like obsessed with the with the show. And I really like his fiance. She asks really good probing Mm -hmm. questions. I'm like, wow, this is this is who I want interviewing people because I'm Mm -hmm. thinking some of those questions right before he asked them, you know, to you know, right. anyway, so I just I find it interesting. At the same time, a lot of people in the space have gotten to the point where they make money off it. This is their job. And mm-hmm. so if someone mm-hmm. else gets that interview, that is does mean that like they don't get that. And that does impact right. their bottom line. And you know, if they're trying to live off it, it is competitive. And so I that that's the part mm-hmm. that separates me is where it's like, this is not my job. This is something I do for fun. It's a labor of love. It's, mm-hmm. you know, so if people don't like it, and they're like, I don't like that you do this on your podcast or you are have internalized misogyny. Someone told me that once. I was like, okay, you know. What? Oh, oh God. I don't know. Maybe I did in a comment that I said. I don't it, they didn't give a very good example. Um mm. you know, but okay. Like I can't I can't I'm not gonna change and bend and flip to try and like fit some mold so that more people listen to me. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot right. easier to do the podcast because I don't have to think about what people want because I, I truthfully right. don't care. I just produce what I make. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But, right. you know, right. I, and I, I, I truly to, think <laughs> to like figure well, out whatever, right. like, you know, because this is not your, right. And so but I think to your point, that is what makes you really great. And you are a good interviewer. Like you sent me the the um, list of questions you sent me like I've gone on, you know, um, other podcasts and things like that. Like you really are good at this. You're a good interviewer. You ask very thoughtful questions. You have good insight. So like you can just tell that you move from a place of like 
you can tell when people move from a place of I'm really trying to make money and make this a thing that it's like they're trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's something about that that feels icky and disingenuous and and stuff like that. So I think that you can tell the difference. And the thing that I do like about Nick, and and I understand those criticisms, but like podcasters, we get criticized for everything. I'll make one little misstep <laughs> I know. about like, I, right. I called like Sounds of Freedom. I talked, I said it was like a documentary instead of like what it was. And people destroyed me online. And I was like, hi, I'm a person. I made a mistake. Like I'm not perfect. So with Nick, sometimes not, could he have more Bravo knowledge? Well, sure. But like, He's also just like doing his job and being a good interviewer and asking thoughtful questions that to me, he doesn't need to be like a fan from day one, episode one. You know, I I think sometimes fans also look at that and they say, because it gives them a sense of pride, right? Like, oh, well, I've been here since day one, episode one. And it, and it's like, okay, well, that's we're great. We're the real fans. We're more okay entitled, that- you know, to we're more deserving. Mm-hmm. That it's always so funny that it, yeah. that happens in all like niche areas. It's just funny to watch it in podcasting, right? It's definitely a thing in politics. Yes. You know, I've worked on this many campaigns, or I've done, I've put in my time in this mm-hmm. way, and therefore I'm deserving of X. You know, whatever it is, and yeah. people do it in yeah. all spaces. And so I get when it's someone's job, job that is a little mm-hmm. bit more serious. Like, you know, I don't know how I yeah. would react yeah. if this was my, um, like, full-time gig. But, you know. Sure, sure. I, I still yeah. think people are a little salty when they don't need to be. And just, like. Oh, yeah. Like, come there's on. There's, for space, sure. there's space for everyone. People, everyone's starting a podcast. Right. And my thought is, like, if you need to dim someone's light to make your shine brighter, that's just like a fundamental problem. You know, the entitlement behind, well, well, I should get this or I've been here since day one. And it's like there's an entitlement to that, that it's like there's room for all of us at the table. And that shouldn't like there are tons of therapists on Bravo. By the way, I follow all of them. I love them. I don't care how big their accounts are. There's room for all of us at the table. Mm-hmm. But that is not a mindset and an approach held by all. Some people have a very cutthroat, it's you or me kind of mentality. And that's, you know, sad. And But I'm just glad that we're not like that. <laughs> I know. I think it must be exhausting. I always think about people in the workplace who view everything as a zero-sum game. Therefore, like, if I win, you lose. Mm-hmm. And if you win, I lose. And right. I just think that must be exhausting. Because <laughs> I, I can't it, imagine it, spending sure. that much energy on everything where I'm frustrated all the time. Right. Because anytime someone else wins, that somehow is a loss for you. You know, that's right. And imagine, imagine how you would behave if that was your approach to life, right? There's so a, it's like some of these I pers- encounter a lot of yeah. those people in Washington D.C. <laughs> oh, honey, I bet you do. <laughs> There's so many interesting personalities. That's why, like, I'm not as phased by some of the behavior on Bravo because I'm like the right. audacity, and then I'm like, eh. <laughs> there's plenty of people here who <laughs> like that kind of stuff or who behave in just such right. bizarre, unusual ways or, you know, mm-hmm. like I think a perfect example is watching Larsa deny having work done on her body. And then oh my God. the people, you know, deny having ever tweeted what they tweeted or deny not ever supporting Donald Trump. And then now they do like 
you know, denying that the sky yeah. is blue. Like people will deny whatever they have to deny if it fits their narrative and if it gets them what they want. Um, so that's right. Uh, and furthermore, <laughs> if they're surrounded by echo chambers, right? That yeah. is how these characteristics turn into personality constructs that then become problematic, right? Because if that's your mindset and you're in an echo chamber and no one's challenging you and being like, I think you need to look at this. That is how how underlying personality stuff truly is formed. So I mentioned this on the Dumpster Dive podcast, but I was saying how, and I don't understand everything about brain scans or what part of the brain lights up from from like language versus memory versus whatever. But I do know that experiences shape like neural pathways. And oh, yeah. a huge thing I'm interested in is when people, what they're pathways are in their brain before they become famous and then 10 Mm -hmm. years later when they're now just surrounded by yes people everything Mm -hmm. is doable easy they get what they want when they want it and you know what does that do to someone's brain and how will does that change their behavior and a big question I've always had is Tom Sandoval like, we know he's capable of this kind of stuff because he did it to Kristen, right? He, like, couldn't break mm-hmm. up with Kristen. So he just mm-hmm. did this, like, long, slow decline of the relationship. Oh, yeah. And then there was overlap mm-hmm. with Ariana. But mm-hmm. the audacity of what he did with Ariana by, like, getting with Rachel, also on the show, thinking he could keep it off of the camera, that it would all go his way. Mm-hmm. Would he have done that? prior to being on Vanderpump Rules? Or did he, like, was his brain literally, did it change Mm -hmm. over the last decade that Mm -hmm. they've been famous so that he actually truly thinks he can get away with things because he has for so long? I don't know the answer. That is such (laughs) a good question. You know the answer? No, I don't know the answer. I just am curious. I don't know if we can ever (laughs) find out, but I'm, like, another example is, like, um, kids who become famous like or people who become famous Mm -hmm. very young like uh justin Mm -hmm. bieber you know what was he like Mm -hmm. when he was 11 versus at 25 and like how Mm -hmm. does that make him more likely to get in bad situations where he could abuse drugs or alcohol where maybe Mm -hmm. if his pathway had been different he wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened so i guess going back to the tom sandoval of it all that's what i kind of want like how much do you think the show plays into like people's brains tricking them into thinking they're more important than they are, they can get away with more, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's such a good, again, good question and insightful thing because I also happen to be like, I'm a full blown psychology nerd. I love cognitive, like the, you know, neuropsychology and all those different things. And I read a study the other day that showed, and this is going to blow your mind, that having 10,000 followers on Instagram is enough to change neural pathways <gasps> in your brain. That's Okay, it. this is exactly and- my theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to your point, 10,000, when you look at, you know, okay, well, some of these people have millions and they're on TV and this and that. The the answer to your question is absolutely positively. There are neural pathways that will form and change based on the celebrity. 
And on the other side of that coin, there's also, I believe, um, when I went on um, the podcast with Jackie Goldschneider and Jen Fessler, two Jersey Jays, we talked about how um, people, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Oh my God. You were talking about the neuropathways oh, okay. and if you have 10,000 followers and um, it could actually change the neuropathways. And then you went on to Jersey J's. So, yeah. And listen, this is truly, um, I don't even need you to edit this out because this is just like, like when you, ha- I've gone through chemotherapy and immunotherapy, my brain is just like, Sometimes no. it feels like a sieve. No, after um, I had happens. COVID the first time, my brain, like I had a lot of recall issues. It didn't last mm-hmm. very long, but like words I would have trouble remembering. It was like I had, yeah. I, I could describe yeah. what the word meant, but finding the word was hard. Right, right. And I do like to use a lot of like my whoopsie moments as just like, like to normalize and humanize and to let people know because people look at me like I'm amazing and I'm like mm, I'm an imperfect person that you know forget stuff so <laughs> no but this is um, exactly think- what I've been like wondering though does the amount of attention you get whether it be an Instagram followers the number of people that watch their show or the number of people that recognize you at the airport change yes your brain and then does that change yeah, in I- the brain lead to changes in behavior Absolutely. And yes, yes, and yes. So the changes in the brain, and we also, um, the thing is that the, the question you asked before about certain personality characteristics that go into this in the first place, well, we also can't forget the neural pathways in these folks that have already been formed that then inform their behavior and then lead them to be more likely to to be reality stars, right? Because when we grow up with certain traumas or or we all have these neural pathways that that are just formed. And those of us who have experienced a lot of trauma, those neural pathways, I kind of joke about them being a factory default setting. So like, for example, if you were going therapy and you work on things, there may be a trigger for you where your brain will go back to that factory default setting. You'll have this reaction to something that is an old reaction. And then you're like, wait, wait a second. I'm different. Why is this happening? And that is how powerful these neural pathways are. Okay. So when those neural pathways happen, and the answer is yes, it only takes 10,000 Instagram followers, which by the way, I'm at nine and I'm terrified. I'm like, am I going to like <laughs> wake up when I get 10 and be like a monster? Am I going to be like, <laughs> like husband, give me my smoothie. Like what will happen to me? But um, I think that it absolutely then informs the behavior because what happens is too, it's like, well, when we get used to this attention and adoration, and if that's your only form of self-validation, you need that to survive. And you need, it's like a drug where you need more and more and more of the same thing to get that desired feeling and behavior. So then what ends up happening is then the behaviors get more intense But also something I want to note that's really important is that I believe in the Bravo world, these atrocious behaviors are incredibly rewarded. I mean, look at Scandaval. They all, I mean, got wealthy and products and 
you know, commercials and look at Ariana. And I'm not saying she doesn't deserve that, but ultimately this was a show that was likely going to be canceled. And now they're in this era of celebrity that a thousand percent is going to change their neuropathways. It's going to change their behavior. And if they're in an echo chamber and it's left unchecked, that is, you're going to just, Tom Sandoval is a good example of someone who is just incredulous. He, he just, he wants attention. He doesn't care how he gets it. He has no interest in gaining insight into his behaviors or taking accountability. He has no interest in it. And the answer to that is because he has been rewarded for this mm-hmm. type of behavior. So why on earth would he change it? We we only change if we have a reason to do so. Do you think, though, that this like big backlash to his behavior, because I would argue that he hasn't made money off this. He can't get the Instagram deals he had before. He um, mm-hmm. is kind of pers- person persona non grata, like at a lot of places. Mm. Do you think that would be enough of an incentive for him to kind of take a deep look at like, okay, I messed up. Why did I get to this place? Like, why did I trick myself into thinking that I was the victim in the situation that mm-hmm. I deserved a way out that I, you know, it, yeah. Anyways. Mm-hmm. So my, my quick answer to that is, um, no, I don't believe it's for him will change because if it was going to change his behavior, it would have. Yeah. Because I think, so some people back to when I talked about how some people don't care about positive or negative attention, there are some people who are happy to be villains. And I think that if he were going to experience that process, right? Like I kept having hope for him because truly as a therapist, I do like to see all sides of people. We all have good and bad parts, all of us, right? So I like to see the humanity in people. Unless like if you have true psychopathology, like if you're a true like psychopath and like you're a really bad person, obviously that's different. But all human beings, I believe, deserve to be happy and have good and bad parts. Now, Tom Sandoval really challenges my my fortitude with what I've just said because he just has given up every opportunity that he's had for growth. And I just think that he doesn't care about being a villain or being like a you know, being loved or being a villain. He just, the attention is the attention is the attention. That's my personal view on it. Because again, if, if, if he would have, he had plentiful opportunities, right. To have some of those moments and he just hasn't taken them. So I don't know him personally, but that's going to be my guess based on what I know about human nature. So another person I wanted to ask you about who I feel like's behavior changes very dramatically, including on this season, is Lala Kent. You know, we've seen Mm -hmm. her. She comes in as a fighter. She jokes that she's all bark and no bite. You know, she's very tough on the outside, but then on the inside, she is soft. You know, Mm -hmm. we watch her be so, like, in how she talks, so convincing that she is right and every time she talks about anything, but then when yeah. she actually gets a moment to reflect, she'll admit that she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I- <laughs> that was really <laughs> shitty of me to do or say, <laughs> which I find so funny because like, why speak with such um, certainty all the time? Yeah. 
why does she speak yeah. with such certainty? Because I feel like there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> like that she just, she, you know, I don't know, digs her, her okay, so, heels so in. So this is my theory. Braces. Okay. <laughs> this is my theory. Right, because like you're so right, and I just did a post about Lala about how like here's the thing. I think Lala fundamentally, I enjoy her as a person, but the the contradictory behavior drives some people wild, and I understand it. I think for her, remember we were talking about those neural pathways based on our history of trauma. When Lala reacts that way, which it is hilarious because she she does it. It's like. It's watching this ping pong match of her just like talk about something from a place of certainty, knowing she's going to come back to it and be like, my bad. Right. <laughs> you know? but, so, yes, I believe when she does that, it is her history of trauma. Her So when she gets challenged, when she feels wounded, when she feels hurt, her factory default setting is ferocious. I'm going to tear your eyeballs out. I'm going to talk about this from a place of passion and certainty because I have to defend myself. She doesn't need to do that anymore. And I don't know if she's done the work or had the therapy to understand that that is a neural pathway. Like it's, it's just her factory default setting. And when she, the real Lala is shown in how she can look back at something and be like, yeah, my bad. I, I shouldn't have said that. And to me, that is truly all we can do as humans is when we screw up to take ownership. And I think the audience would just like to see her stop taking such a stance and just like be more open and understanding that like maybe she doesn't know it all. But in my opinion, it is a neural pathway factory default setting that it it comes from a place of like reacting to her trauma. I don't know what her trauma is, though, which also makes it harder to like other than the Randall stuff. I'm talking about like growing up because she entered the show this way. That was long before Randall came into her life. Um, what's right. What I thought was so kind of obnoxious about her. I like her. I really do was. And I find mm-hmm. this. I feel the same way about anyone else that writes a book. Um that doesn't really like a memoir, right? The give them Lala story Mm -hmm. when you don't really have a story to tell yet. And you don't know that you don't have a story to tell because you haven't lived enough. Right. And I -hmm. feel that way about anyone that puts out a book that's basically saying like, this is my story and they're 25 or Mm -hmm. they're 30 and you haven't had enough. And all the things I'm interested in learning about her happened after Mm -hmm. this book came out, like her as a mother, her protecting her family, you know, getting out mm-hmm. of this really terrible relationship, like leaning on her right. mom and her brother, like all of that stuff is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And none of it's in the book. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like people just yeah. <laughs> wait till you're much older to write, you know, and, and to write a story about your life. Because yes, and she did open up about things in that book and, you know, having an abortion, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think the most interesting aspects of her you know, live 10 more years, and then I'll really want to read it, you know? Um, yeah, okay. it's it, no, you're right. And that is such a funny thing. But like, so all I'm going to touch on about that is that everyone who is on reality TV, they have some sort of story that just because, like, I don't necessarily know what it is. There's something there. Yeah. More, more for some than others, right? But like, 
Lala's behaviors tell me that she has had to be self-protective. I'm not sure why that is. Like a lot of um, folks who have that kind of like ferocious, I'm going to claw your eyes out. It really just comes from not knowing how to protect themselves when they're hurt. So where that developed, I don't know. Um, But, you know, yes, to your point, I would have loved a book, you know, maybe talking about some of this, like, where did that come from for you in your childhood? And talking about the Randall stuff, because I did an episode about the Randall scandal. And there, you know, what I think is interesting is like, what made her choose this person and ignore red flags? Like, that also is interesting and tells me maybe a, a lot about her unknown trauma. Like, there's gotta be, you know, there's reasons that she, you know, did the things that she did and, and stayed so long and all those things. And, and trust me, this is not to blame. I am a huge oh, advocate. No, yeah. Um, you know, so just to be really clear about that, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. The stories we can tell ourselves to, you know, keep our reality the way we want it. Um, yeah. You've yeah. talked a bit about Kyle Richards before and why her behavior this season on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills has been so different. And I mm-hmm. think you and I both, I mean, my immediate reaction to like looking at all this was, why aren't they talking about that friend of hers that died? And then they finally started right. talking about it, which is really nice to see this season because it's clearly had such an impact on her. And it just didn't make mm-hmm. the story, you know, from mm-hmm. last season. But I'm mm-hmm. like, this must be why she's changing her behavior. Do you feel right. that part of her relationship with Morgan and I have not said whether like that I think it's romantic um, but mm-hmm. is almost like this person has kind of almost not replaced but sort of her friend Lorene and like this is her she needs mm-hmm. to have like a woman in her life that she mm-hmm. feels like grounded with mm-hmm. yeah I, I think again super smart and introspective thought. And absolutely, yes. I think that, you know, and and going back to Lala for one second, but on the same vein, like Lala has a sobriety journey that just Mm -hmm. like all of it was cut out and they didn't even show that because sometimes I think on Bravo, what irritates me is that the hard stuff that really makes us human and is like great to show, they, they don't want it. They don't want you know, to talk about, you know, the death of Lorene. They don't want to talk about Lala's sobriety. They want Scandival. They want, you know, Merce in a purse, whatever. Like, that's <laughs> that's what they want. <laughs> and, and um, but with Kyle, I, I and, and here's what's interesting, because I don't know if the folks listening know. So I posted a clinical interpretation about this, and she reposted it, and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was like, I I could not even imagine that this was like my real life because it was just a theory. But essentially, they did her a disservice, I think, by not, A, the ladies were not asking the right question. So people on Housewives get frustrated about like, why aren't you telling us more? And it's like, well, you're asking terrible questions. You're focusing on her ring and like, did Mauricio buy it? It's like, focus on the stuff that matters and you'll get the answers that you're seeking, right? I mean, part of the onus is on them too. So I definitely think that Kyle losing Loreen, I I have a friend that I've had since kindergarten and I truly 
if something happened to her, I would not know like what to do. And I do think that Morgan is a replacement in a lot of ways. I think she's a, a, a replacement for, you know, Kyle really thrives on having very close, intimate friendships, female friendships, like true authentic ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that Morgan represents freedom. Number one, right. Morgan is tattooed. She gives zero fuck. She's like, whatever. Um, Morgan is a breast cancer survivor and Kyle's mom died of breast cancer. And so I think Morgan's journey really just touches something like, you know, in Kyle. Um, but I think it is astute observation that you made that more the people are picking up on the oddity of the relationship and what's frustrating is they're they're making judgments about whether it's romantic or not and to me i just i don't like that because it's none of our business it doesn't matter but what they're picking up on is valid which is that kyle and and has kind of clung to morgan almost like um like a life like a life preserver in the ocean yeah And so people are like, well, this is weird. And it's like, but this is what she needs to do to survive right now. And who am I to judge what she needs to do to keep herself afloat? Because this situation that happened with her friend could have easily taken her under easily. Yeah. So I just think it's amazing that she is taking a look at her life. She's taking an assessment of what role does alcohol play, you know, working out and all this other stuff. Do I think she overcorrected and there are some extremes happening? Yes. But at the same time, when somebody's trying to save their own life, as someone who's been in that same position multiple times, no one can judge how we do it. Right. Yeah. She's saving her home or her own life. So let's just let her do that. Um, as long as she's not hurting anybody else um, or herself, you know, but that, you know, that's kind of my, that's my thought on it. Yeah, I think she's gone overboard with the exercise in a way that could yeah. be very unhealthy for her. But, you know, maybe that's something that can be dealt with later on, right? Once like the more serious yeah. things, not to say that that's not serious, but um, the the thing I've always judged is just Morgan's age and the fact that she has adult daughters and that her daughters, sure. some of them are older than Morgan. And I would find that weird. <laughs> If, mm-hmm. you know, like that was what was going on yeah. in my life. Like if my dad started hanging out with people that were younger than me, that's just sure. odd to me. I'm like, why are you, <laughs> you know, doing sure. this? Sure. And listen, that is that is more than fair. That is more than fair. It is. I, I will validate. It is kind of odd. It's it's um, it is an overcorrection. And I actually I do agree with you about the exercise, because here's the thing. People think like oh, well, exercise is great. But in actually one of my first um, research um, papers that I did in grad school was about exercise addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I've worked in an inpatient residential facility for addiction. And the thing that I've learned about addiction is that whether it's a substance or a process, right, like like exercise, food, sex, love, it really all comes from the same stuff. It comes from having pain that you're not wanting to address and you want to stuff it and you want to distract and you want to use these things to feel right. Cause exercise, it creates literal endorphins in the brain and it can make you happy. But, 
Um, I do think it's an overcorrection and I do think it's extreme. And the danger of that, of course, becomes disordered eating and, you know, inappropriate, like openly dealt with. She's talked about it. That's why I'm so concerned. I'm like, this is something you've done before as a coping mechanism. Sure, sure. And and you're right. This is with her history, something that if she does not have awareness and people around her to challenge it, this really could absolutely go right back to disordered eating and behavior for sure. So yes, that's accurate. And, you know, hopefully, um, she has enough people in her life who are kind of challenging her about that because we know, again, the neural pathways, when you have had a history of disordered eating, you can slip right back into that neural pathway in times of crisis. You, We go back to what we know. And so you're right. I think she went back to those coping skills that she knew. And it is a little extreme. And that's what people are reacting to. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, the last person is one who is a bit extreme in her behavior, but who I've always really enjoyed, which is Candace Dillard Bassett. So we're seeing Mm -hmm. her this season, and she is just adamant that she was wronged, which I believe she was last season by Giselle. Mm -hmm. Not as much by Robin, Mm -hmm. but she's looping them in together, and Mm -hmm. she's not letting go. And it's... um, Mm -hmm disruptive and same with Giselle. Giselle's also not letting go, right? To right. the the things that Candace said to her and the impact it had in terms of people the death threats. I, I feel like all of them get death threats. This is we're all there's so many messed Ugh. up people out there. And if you have no. if you're on a show, it's gonna happen at some point, which is awful. Which is just so gross. Like it's terrible. If, if, What's wrong with people? It's crazy. We- it's so it's like if you are so invested in someone that you are sending them a death threat, get off of social media immediately, run right. to a therapist and assess your behavior because that is so it's bonkers. It's just not acceptable. There's but with yeah. Candace. <laughs> yeah. It, no. Yeah. I mean, it, but like I, I know it's so frustrating. And some of the comments that I get, I'm like, would you say this to my face? And then it's like, yeah, they probably would. I well, mean, no, a lot just, don't. No. I, the episode that I did with Chelsea, we talked about um, the online disinhibition effect, which I've been trying to contact. Mm-hmm. If maybe you would know how to find this guy, the guy who came up with it, it was like in 2004. And I've been trying to, like, I emailed him and I never heard back. And mm-hmm. anyways, I think mm-hmm. he was uh, is in New Jersey, but basically there's like six principles that kind of make up the online disinhibition effect. And one of them is that you don't see, look at people in their eye. And when you're not looking at someone in the eye and they're not right in front of you, Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to say something that, Mm -hmm. and it's a lot harder when you're looking at them. Right. So yeah, I do think people act very differently online and it brings out, and I, I believe social media is an addiction for most of us. Uh, yes. And, there is definitely so I'm going to use Reddit as a great example. And for after the show, we'll talk and I'll, I'll help you try to get in touch with him. Um, there, I always say that like Reddit, it, it because it's one of those things that it, you can be completely anonymous. Anonymity breeds the most awful human behavior, and there are concepts of this that even goes to terrible things like the Holocaust and mm-hmm. these terrible tragedies where dehumanizing someone and having a sense of anonymity, it removes you cognitively from the act. Mm-hmm. And then it allows these egregious things to happen. Um, and 
So obviously like it's different, but I just wanted to use that as an example. So that a thousand percent is, is what happens, but there's also a personality type where, um, they'll say something too terrible because of the anonymity and then you'll message them privately about it. Like I've done that and they'll still like double down on being terrible. Or sometimes people will be like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time, whatever. Like I actually have those conversations with folks because I want to know, like, are you just a human going through it and we're having a miscommunication or are you being a troll? Right. And their behavior will tell you, right? Like if mm-hmm. they're having an actual one-on-one conversation with me and they're still dedicated to calling me a this or a that, then I'm like, okay, that's just a part of your personality. But there is a lot of folks that aren't just inherently, they're not inherently bad people. They just, the anonymity, it, it creates a sense of ick mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but Candace. <laughs> Candace Diller Bassett, I have to like, I just giggle because I adore her, but my God, she is stubborn. You know, it's like, she is so likable, but like you said, she, her toxic trait, we all have them, is that she just won't let things go. She just won't let it go and move on. And ultimately what happens is Candace is someone who, who in my mind, she'll have a good point. But then she'll talk herself back out of the good point by her terrible behavior because she's being stubborn and revengeful and vindictive, right? So I think that's why, for me, she's so polarizing because, A, she is so talented. I mean, her songs are, like, really good. Drive Back, that's a bop. Oh, I love it. And she has an MBA. Like, this woman has a head on her shoulders. Yeah. She's smart. She's talented. She's gorgeous. She has a wonderful personality, but she's young. And I think part of her youth is this stubborn sense of like, I feel like sometimes young folks, they have the stubborn sense of like, well, I know that I'm right. So I'm going to like be this like a dead horse. And it's like, well, that's just hurting you. So I do. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm like, this is only hurting (laughs) her that how much she's holding on to this. Oh, a thousand percent. There's a saying in the program of AA that um, holding on to anger and resentment is like drinking poison and wanting somebody else to die. Yep. And I truly live by that. Uh, I'm not in the program of AA, but I was a a therapist in rehab. So um, I just feel that the concept of holding on to stuff and not letting go, it's not even about Giselle or Robin or whatever. It's just hurting her and it takes her power away and it makes her look silly when she makes these like really nasty comments or, you know, she can read for filth, which I'm like, it is amazing. But then sometimes it gets too, you could tell it like comes from that place of anger and stubbornness. And then it just makes her look like a jerk. And, and, She's better than that. So that frustrates me for her. You know, yeah, I really don't like when she said you're dwindling uterus to Giselle, mm. especially knowing what's going on with like her health issues and fibroids. And, you know, it, that yeah. was shitty or like your white looking ass, you know, it's and oh. bringing in all the colorism stuff, which I understand they wanted to talk through. But that also, I think, is what led to some of the death threats is people are very, very angry about the issue of colorism and how it's handled or not handled or perceived to be handled mm-hmm. on the show. And to like these, like, no one needs to compare these women who are all 
black um, or mixed right. race to white people. Like right. that's, that's not a, I don't know. She did that in a way I that think I thought was really I, nasty. Yes. And to your point, I think that's the perfect example of what I'm saying where they were having this beautiful talk about colorism, right? Mm -hmm. It was productive. It was helpful. It was educational. I appreciated it. And then she allowed her anger for Giselle and Robin to make that comment, which completely walked back every good will and good thing that had come from this discussion. She just shot herself in the foot in a spectacularly disgusting way. Um, yeah. And I will say, so I lost my ability to have children after having ovarian cancer. And so for me, I'm sensitive to that stuff too. And I just Same. think what she said about the uterus, yeah, it was just like really triggering, really shitty. Um, and, and she's better than that. But she you know, she makes herself go real low and that makes her unlikable and that makes people be angry with her. And she has nobody to blame but herself with that. Yeah. And those are two very good examples of that. Um, so listen, all I can hope for her is that, you know, what I wish she could do right now is to say for with colorism thing to say, for example, like, OK, you know what? I said that out of anger. I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. But like she gets so stubborn. Yeah. In being right that she makes herself look terrible. And she may have had a really good point. Like what I think she was trying to say is because you are light skinned, you can get away mm -hmm. with more from the audience of the show mm -hmm. than I can. You can accuse mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. husband of acting inappropriately. You can make innuendos and kind of make it seem as if maybe he was interested in assaulting you or interested in hooking up with you like mm -hmm. and and you could then be like well I didn't mean that I you know and because of how you mm -hmm. look the audience doesn't hold you accountable but when I mess mm -hmm. up they hold me accountable and I have a feeling it mm -hmm. might have to do with the pigment of my skin and how dark it is versus how light yours is that is right. a reasonable thing to say. We don't know we don't know why the audience sure. behaves how they behave. I do believe there mm -hmm. is an element of like when women have lighter skin if they're mm -hmm. black and have lighter skin there is like kinder reception. I feel like that's sure been proven and but she could phrase it differently. You know, and the way that well, she Well, imagine yeah, as if it's Giselle's so, so, fault. Right. You know, that right. she has the skin color she does. Yeah. Right. Like, imagine if Candace would have said, you know, I feel hurt because I feel due to the color of my skin, I get treated differently than you. Imagine if she would have said that. There could have been a, a real conversation or her needs or her validation could have been met, whereas she took out a bazooka and just like, shot her in the chest and yeah. just like alienated people in the process where I can't, I feel like it came from a place of hurt. And again, she may have initially, she may have had the point, but then it's like the way she goes about it. Cause you're right. I mean, colorism is absolutely very real. Um, people, you know, I'm mindful about how I talk about it as a white woman. Um, but it's a very real it's um, again, they had talked about it. And so she is essentially um, doing 
the thing that she is frustrated that other people are doing, right? Like she's using that kind of colorism towards Giselle. And it's like, well, but then you just made yourself part of the problem instead of being part of the solution or part of like talking about it. So yeah, that that was bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were the main people I had, but I guess I'm going to add one more and then we can wrap up, which is Robin Dixon and how she is (laughs) with her relationship with Juan. She said that they're not in therapy, that their problems are actually with the rest of the world and not with each other. Uh, And everyone seems to think that she's got her head in the sand and that she's purposefully in denial or maybe she knows and just doesn't want to talk about it on camera. What do you make Mm -hmm. of her and her way of kind of navigating the world in the relationship that she's in? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, (laughs) I've posted so much about this. Okay. Because (laughs) I have so many feelings about this. Um, and it's funny, I have one post about that, that I did about this, that it must have gotten in some sort of algorithm because it like people, it's like two weeks old and I still have people commenting on it daily. Um, and it's a post about Robin and Juan. Um, so my, my thing with Robin is I believe that she is self neglectful. What does that mean? Self-neglectful is when we are numb and will not attend to our own feelings and needs. And there's a bunch of reasons why this happens, okay? But I am so beyond disgusted with Juan's treatment of her. But I'm also frustrated with her lack of willingness to address it and like she I do believe she does have her head in the sand I fully believe to be continually in this relationship to make it quote-unquote work you would have to have your head in the sand to continue to maintain it because the way that he has spoken to her I like I just posted and I'm like if people speak to you like this they're not run away, please, because that is not acceptable. Like that is not love. Speaking to people, the way that he speaks to people is just absolutely unacceptable. Number one. Number two, the one insight that I had is that Robin and and Juan have been together. They've literally grown up together. Yeah. There is a kinship and a bond that can only be explained So for example, I've been with my husband since I was 20. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm 43. Wow. When you are with someone for multiple decades, literally we've grown up together. We college together and, you know, we've built this life together and we're so happy because we both do the work like long-term decades, long relationships. They don't just magically They're not just magically great. Both parties have to be equally committed to both personal work and development and couples work and development. And Juan just isn't there. I mean, clearly, he's made that very clear. I'm not guessing. I'm not judging. I'm telling you based on what he has said and what he has shown us, he is not in that space. So what are Robin's choices? 
to dig your head in the sand and to just say, well, for myself and my kids, and I love this man because I do think that there's real, true, deep love there, um, I'm going to stay, but I don't think she's happy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if he's not willing to change, she only has two options. Her two options are for her to change and take a step back or to just accept what's happening. And I don't judge the fact that she's choosing to just accept what's happening because divorce is scary and they were already divorced once before, right? I'm sure it's like, it's pride, but also like she just loves this man and they have children together. So it's so complex, but ultimately I think that she is self-neglecting and you can see that she's not happy. And that makes me very sad for all of them because I think they just all deserve better. Yeah, me too. I do feel bad for Robin in this situation. And I think she, the viewers of the show and the other women on the show and these things coming up have made, has made her like have to look at them, even though she Mm -hmm. has her head in the sand. And I think she's resentful to everyone that makes her look at the reality. A thousand percent, because remember I talked about echo chambers. So the thing is that when we have people check us, we don't like that. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I love personal growth. I love looking at my stuff. I love taking accountability. But sometimes when my husband is like, hey, what about this? I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, wanna, you know, so it's like, it's my point is that it's hard to look at your stuff and it's hard to have these women. It's hard to hear things you don't want to hear. I don't blame her. It must be overwhelming. It's so frustrating. Like, would it just be easier for her if they were just like echo chambers of, yeah, you know, you guys are great. And who cares if he's cheating and who cares if he's doing all these crazy things? Like a good friend isn't going to say that. And truly this whole process has also made me appreciate Giselle a lot more because for better or worse, Giselle is a friend to Robin. She's a friend in that she's going to be like, Mm-mm. you know, she's going to call Juan on his behavior. She's going to say the things that her friend needs to hear, but it also is understandable that Robin is frustrated about mm-hmm. it. I get it. It's hard to hear. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many, <laughs> we could just go on and on, but like, I really appreciate you being yeah. here kind of going into you know, answering all my questions, especially about the neural pathways. I'm fascinated by that. Um, And just thank you for taking the time and sharing your knowledge with us. Tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, anything else you want to plug or talk about. Thank you. You're so sweet. Yeah, we could do this for like four more hours. I know. So um, (laughs) (laughs) it's been a great conversation. Thank you for your thoughtful approach. I, I do really appreciate that. Um, so you can find me, please go over to Instagram. So my neural pathways can be forever changed and I can hit 10,000 followers. (laughs) I love that. Um, so I am on Instagram, your Bish therapist, and it's spelled Y-O-U-R-B-I-S-H therapist. So I'm your Bish therapist on Instagram. I am also have a YouTube channel. So my podcast You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. And by the way, I will announce season two premiere of my podcast is going to be on Tuesday. Well, this is coming out after that, but it will be within, within a week of that. 
Okay, perfect. So those who are listening, the episode is out. Please go listen. And for people, so I, as you can see, like in this video, I make a lot of like wild hand gestures and facial expressions. So my podcast is the audio. And then I do the audio and the video. I release that to YouTube. YouTube. So you can go to your Bish Therapist YouTube channel um, and look at that. And what I would just ask is please, if you listen to the podcast and enjoy it, please head over and give me a five-star review. You, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, after I talked about, I'm not going to say who, um, but some of the folks that we mentioned here, I got trolled by fans. Um, I, I got see. spammed with, um, yeah. So I got spammed with one star reviews. And <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't him. <laughs> was yeah, I don't think he has any fans. Although he clearly does. I mean, he has a new girlfriend that I'm like. Have you paid attention? Like, what do you? It's always interesting, right? Anyway. Like those guys, you know, who are in prison for murder, and they have like all these women writing them. You know, it's not to compare. We could do a whole Tom other Sandoval episode on that murder, but you know, just no, literally. I mean, it is. It's very similar, and we could do a whole other episode on that. That's actually a super good idea. Um. So yes. Anyway. Please, you know, if you would be so kind, five-star review and, you know, all that stuff. And I just, you know, Mandy, I've appreciated, um, you know, just this conversation and your insight and awareness and professionalism. And so, you know, I look forward to working together in the future. I'm yes. loving to have you on my podcast. Oh, and, you know, that. I just think we need to have some more combos because I think this was really great. Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Welcome.